Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the former number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm, now bringing you the best TV shows and movies weekly in an easily digestible podcast packed with laughs by me, Ross Bolin, and my uh, old pal, Mr. Barrett Dudley. Today, Barrett's actually joining us on the phone. Barrett, speak to the folks at home and in their cars and showers and desk jobs. Hello, hello. I, I First and foremost, I just want to apologize for for the, the, having to listen to me on a phone today. I know it's not ideal, but everybody needs a little vacation time once in a while. And and look how look how dedicated and committed I am to the clan fam. I'm I'm calling in on vacation. Where just are so you? That I can be part of the conversation. I am in Holden Beach, North Carolina. Oh, it yeah. is a uh, it's a little it's a it's a little beach town over on the coastal Carolina, and just near here, just near here. There have been two shark attacks in the last two weeks. What? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Very seriously. The, oh, uh, you're going to want to stay it, safe it, there. It's, it's, yes. Yeah, I will. I, I've not been entering the water. The, the, the Great Whites are on their, uh, their migration up north for the summer. Ah. And uh, they, they, ha- they happen to like the Carolinas. That's weird. I did not realize this. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. Yep. Ah, Got to be well, careful out here. We have a lot to talk about today. A lot of television, uh, Big Little Lies season two premiere, Black Mirror season five, Handmaid's Tale. I mean, it is, it is a jam packed period of time we're looking at here. And then I have a random movie recommendation as well that we're going to touch on at the end. So, uh, fuck it. Let's Ross, get... can I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, What's up? Can I give the people while I have the the larger Oysters, Clams, and Cockles uh, audience here engaged with us? Can I also just give a quick? Just recommendation and suggestion for all the people out there to watch something on TV of right course, now. Of course, of course. The Women's World Cup. Go support these badass ladies, okay? They're beating Thailand right this second, 7-0. to zero. That's a lot. In soccer, that's these, like, that's these, like that's a severe beating. These are the premier American soccer players. The dudes suck. Remember, they couldn't even make the World Cup Sad. two years ago? So just... You know, show some loyalty, show these girls some love. Women's World Cup. I just had to plug it real quick. No, absolutely. I really like. Well, I really, I really like watching, it and I think everybody should. Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate that. I wish, honestly, I wish that I had it up <laughs> on a screen in here so that I could watch it while we're while we're doing our show. Since it won't, you know, I don't have to watch that closely. We're up seven freaking nothing. They, right. Yeah. This episode of Oysters, Clams, and Cockles is brought to you by Lisa. Lisa knows how important rest is to a better life. Lisa is the foundation of a healthier, happier you. And to Lisa, a bed is more than just a place to sleep. It's a place for relaxation and rest. All of their products have been thoughtfully designed to go beyond creating a comfortable bed to transform your bedroom into a sanctuary you want to spend time in. And that's exactly what a Lisa mattress will do for you. I actually have their advanced luxury hybrid mattress made with premium foams and springs for enhanced pressure relief with edge-to-edge support. Thoughtfully designed with the best of both worlds, the hybrid. It is incredible, the sweet, luxurious hybrid. It's actually the one that Barrett chose as well. It's the bed that both of us chose separately, and it is glorious. Get yourself a hybrid from Lisa Clam Fam. Do yourself a favor. Kill the boy or the girl and become the man or woman you were born to be in a real grown-up bed fit for a king. Lisa believes all people should have access to deep rest and relaxation, and they make it easy for their customers to know they've made the right choice through their social impact initiatives tied to each purchase. They donate one mattress for every 10 they sell through organizations that work in causes like foster care prevention. And to date... 
They've donated more than 33,000 mattresses through more than 1,000 nonprofits. Lisa mattresses are made right here in the USA. In-home delivery and setup is available. Financing is also available if it's needed. Do not miss out, Clam Fam. Live healthier, live happier by resting deeper. Order today and get 15% off any mattress for a limited time at lisa.com slash dragon. When you use the promo code dragon, that's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Promo code dragon. And keep in mind, you'll also get a 100-night risk-free trial plus free shipping and returns. Well, Barrett, why don't, why don't we start off talking about Big Little Lies? Does that sound good? Let's do it. Well, let's do it. We got one episode in. It's called uh, the, the season premiere. Season two premiere was titled, What Have They Done? And uh, the, the, I guess with there will be some spoiler talk here, obviously. You need to be caught up on Big Little Lies if you want to hear this section of the podcast. Otherwise, skip through to the next yeah. section. Um, we start off back with our Monterey Five dealing with the fallout of season one, right? And and what happened at the end there with Perry, the uh, scars guard that got pushed down the stairs by Bonnie. He's dead. And there's a new, quietly terrifying character, Mary Louise, the mother of Perry, played by Meryl Streep, and she wants fucking answers. What do you think about Meryl? What do you think about Meryl in episode one? Um. She came. She came with with uh, gale like wind force. I mean, she <laughs> yeah. is she she is to be reckoned with from the get go, obviously. And she is she's the wrinkle in this season. Obviously, they yeah. needed they needed a reason, right? Right. I, I, and I, I wanted I wanted to ask you that, like, when you heard that Big Little Lies season two was being made. How'd you feel about that? Were you, were you like immediately on board or were you like, ah, man, they might ruin it. Like, or were you just, were you like in the bag for it immediately? So you know how obviously you and I have a a great deal of experience dealing with television shows that are, uh, inspired by novels and, uh, then what happens when those shows run past the books? Right. So the concern for me was obviously (laughs) a little bit of experience in that realm. So I was worried based on the fact that they're moving past the book, the season one, the whole story was inspired by a book, right? And uh, they're moving beyond that. And obviously the storyline, we hit our big climax there at the end of season one. And the big question was, what are we going to do from here? Are they going to have enough to carry the storyline forward? Is it going to feel like it has enough weight from the get-go? Or like episode one was pivotal, pivotal. And honestly, Meryl Streep alone was all the assurance that I needed that this season would be, at the very least, worth watching, but probably fantastic. She was unreal. Yeah, yeah. The So you mentioned that, that we're moving past the book here, right? And right. One thing that I one thing that I thought was promising is that the author of Big Little Lies, Leanne Moriarty, she, she basically, she's credited with the story for season two and the teleplay for season two as well. So she was obviously like in the mix helping to make the decision, which I think is like a good thing. Like at least you have the the original creator of the story on board helping to create more story. Right. Like all the George R. R. Martin episodes of Thrones tended to be some of the best episodes because he's the guy who knows what he's talking about. Like you, you want yeah, that you want the right. creator involved as much as possible or as much as you need them to be. So the fact that she's on board and involved in the storytelling at all is a very good sign. Yeah, I think that was definitely promising. And now they lost the the, the director is different this year. It's Andrea Arnold instead of Jean Marc Bellet. Ah. but uh, but David E. Kelly, who 
essentially adapted the novel for season one of the television show is also, he's like, he and Leanne Moriarty created the second season. Essentially they created the story, they created the teleplay. So, so you've got like two out of the three fixtures there back, uh, arguably the, the two more important ones, even though I thought Jean-Marc Vallée did an awesome job with season one. But, uh, but yeah, I, I thought this first episode was, Look, man, we'll talk. We'll talk about a show that that has a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences with The Handmaid's Tale yeah. later in this podcast. But, but the the first, the first like big difference about the two is that the world that is created in Big Little Lies, this little slice of Monterey, California, of this northern coast, right? It's just one. It's one that we want to hang out in. That's fair, right? Like, yeah. It's a, it's it is, it's a, it's a, it's an alluring place. And these people are, are kind of interesting and funny and complicated. And the scenery is beautiful. And oh my God, this soundtrack, the music that is just like perfectly aligned with everything that we see on screen. Uh, it, we've got big, big superstar A-list actresses here. I mean, it's just like, that's kind of what should bring everybody back into the fold is that, Hey, this is just a lot of fun, no matter what these people are going to be doing. Like it, it, regardless of whether or not they have a super solid story or, or regardless of whether this is, uh, this season will be as intriguing as season one was, it's like, this is just a fun place to be. It's fun to watch. Yeah. And when you put Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Laura Dern, Zoe Kravitz, I mean, that's, it's just, there's so, and then you add Meryl Streep into the mix. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 just an unbelievable amount of talent on screen. It would take a colossal fuck up in terms of story to make this season not good to me. At least after seeing episode 1. Now I'm that confident because yeah, right. the seeds right. the seeds they planted with Celeste struggling so hard with the death of her abusive husband, dealing with the issues that so many abused women deal with in these toxic relationships where she's got all these conflicting feelings of guilt and shame, and then on top of those things, still a great deal of love for Perry, even though he's gone. Um, That is obviously going to be very interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Renata is probably the second most intriguing character to me so far after one episode because she's like in this incredible place this the best place she's ever been like being featured in some magazine she's got amabella's teacher under her thumb she's got fucking <laughs> all these friends now at the, the first season she was like the bad guy sort of right uh-huh, and or uh-huh. at least in a way i guess perry was the real bad guy but she was the bad guy out of the group of girls and sure. now all is right for renata so it's like okay if shit starts to hit the fan is she going to be the one yeah, the, to throw bonnie under the, the bus gang. Right. And it's a lot. I mean, there's just a lot, like Celeste and Jane realizing that they have their their moms to half-brothers, one of which was the creation of a horrible crime, Ziggy. Uh, Celeste is even sending Jane money. What the hell was that? Yeah, because she's, she's basically like paying child support for, for Ziggy. But they're keeping it a secret. Rem- rem- yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, remind me of this. Who was abusing Amabella last year? It was one of these two little shithead twins. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He was like biting her and stuff. Um, yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't Ziggy, right? No, it was not Ziggy. He was blamed for it, and it wasn't yeah. him. Right, right. Okay, all right. Just had to clear that up. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the because one of these because these tw- these twins they're obviously showing us that they have some of the uh, the tendencies of their 
their abusive father. Yes, which is not good. And then now we've met the the grandma, Mary Louise, who is uh, not stable, I guess is the way I would describe her. <laughs> She's a terrifyingly powerful personality who has lived much more life than these women have. And it's almost, you kind of get the impression like she maybe at one point could have been in a girl squad like that, but now she's just so veteran, you know what I mean? That she's like, she is clearly going to fuck stuff up this season. Like, it's going to get ugly. Yes. She's the wrench in the wheel, absolutely. Yeah, based on the trailer and the preview for next week and the thing, the scenes that I've seen, uh, it is going to escalate rather quickly, I believe. This is not something that's going to take six episodes to get... To get wild, I think we're going to start to see things turn maybe even as soon as next week. Right, right. But yeah, yeah all my concerns uh, have been alleviated, man. I mean, that one scream from Meryl Streep, the yell of frustration that was heard around the world at the, the dinner table. Yeah, we got we to gotta talk about that. Th- that, that, was, <laughs> that was just an excellent TV moment. How do you pull... I mean, dude, that's so hard to pull off, and she did it. <laughs> Because she's Meryl Streep. Yeah. Like, leave it, like, of course, you, you had to know as soon as she starts talking about screaming yeah. that we were going to get a scream. Yeah. And I, you you knew it was going to be good because Meryl Streep, can, she can do anything. So, of course, she's going to, like, let out this a blood-curdling scream. <laughs> right How alarming was that, dude? My whole neighborhood fucking woke up. Like, lights were turning on in the streets. Dogs were barking. Good Lord. <laughs> uh, what do you, I mean... Even though there's a lot of star power already on this show, I mean Nicole Kidman is a superstar. Reese Witherspoon is a superstar. Laura Dern, extremely gifted actress. You know, like it's still got to be intimidating to suddenly be sharing the screen with like a nine-time or ten, nine or ten-time Academy Award nominee, right? It's funny because I imagine that every single human being who's ever created a television show going out of season one is like, well, how can we improve season two? You know what would be awesome if we could get Meryl Streep. But (laughs) nobody ever has been able to do that because nobody ever is Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Laura Dern, and Zoe Kravitz all together. Like, that's an irrefusable offer, basically. (laughs) And then to be able to come in and she's the girl, you know what I mean? Like, Meryl is going to be the season two like, I guess, conflict for, or at least the biggest one mm-hmm, that we right. met. I mean, her and the police. And it's like, which one are you more worried about? After one episode, if you're not more worried about Mary Louise than the cops, you and I didn't watch the same fucking thing. Yes. And I, and I actually, I really liked that because leading up to season two with some of the trailers and, and just some of the things that, some of the teasers and the stuff like that, it looked like it was kind of right off the bat going to be more about the tension with the police. Right. And and now, like you said, it looks like it's actually going to be more about this Meryl Streep character, Perry's mother, and, and what she kind of does by, like, inserting herself into the situation and the conflicts that she creates. I mean, already, like, watching her dress down Reese Witherspoon and, you know, Man. saying that she doesn't trust she doesn't trust little people. Um <laughs> Dude, that was like that. What was that? Some, that was some elf shit. They that was think they're gnomes. An absolutely uh, hilarious line and explanation <laughs> from her. Like, what the hell? That's when you were like, okay, she's completely unhinged. I love that. Yes, it, she was. That may have been some of like her her scenes with Reese Witherspoon may have been some of the best pat like passive aggressive writing ever. Yeah, like that was just phenomenal stuff um but yeah and i'm sure that the police will become more involved as the as the season continues but 
But I was definitely appreciative and glad to see that, like, the initial conflict and the primary one is definitely going to be with Harry's mom more so than, like, you know, trying to, like, trying to hide things from the police. Right. I get the feeling, too, that Mary Louise will be heavily involved. I mean, perhaps... I guess the decision will be, is she going to go it the route of like the vigilante mom trying to solve the crime? Mm -hmm. I mean, the last line we get in the episode from her is like, so who are we going to kill? And you're (laughs) like, wait, what? And the whole season is now completely set up for everything we've ever wanted. Or is she going to go the route of like influencing the police, trying to feed them information about what she thinks or whatever? Like, will she become involved with the investigation on that front? And it's like... Obviously, I'm rooting for her to go full-scale vigilante on her own and not involve the police as much to the point that she'll become a problem for the police even, perhaps. Right. Yes. And I could definitely see something like that happening. In fact, if I had to, if I, if, if you asked me to throw a prediction out there right now, I imagine that the police, that she would like to involve the police, but they can't be as helpful as she wants them to be and therefore goes even more bonkers. Yeah, which... Everybody, we're all going to love that. I mean, I want to see Meryl Streep go as bonkers as she possibly can. So all in all, one episode into Big Little Lies season two, uh, I'm extremely excited. Um, That was that was what I needed to get back in the zone of uh, Monterey. And and all I needed to see from Meryl Streep was Meryl Streep things. And she did them. So I'm happy. She did. She did. I'm I'm looking forward to to more of Big Little Lies. And uh, yeah, great. It's great to have the show back. And I just, I mean, once again, this soundtrack, Go if you go on Spotify, you can find like somebody's already put together a soundtrack with music from season one and season two. It's like, it's such good music to just like have on as a kind of a chill playlist, whether you're at the beach or just cooking dinner or just in that type of uh, Northern California wine drinking mood, man. Like it's such good stuff. I'm trying to think of an, a soundtrack to a television show one season in that I enjoyed more than season one's Big Little Lies soundtrack. I mean, we've had that thing on my record player since like the show fucking ended since season one ended. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, you have I to imagine that. this season's I, music will be just as good. I, I needed to, I, I, one thing that I was looking to see was to get a little bit more iPod Maestro action. Yeah. And, and we did, we got her, we got her putting on that song. The little Reese Witherspoon's daughter throws on a jam yeah. while they're in the car making things awkward. And, and I definitely was, I, I need more of that. I need that girl to con- consistently be just like putting on bangers on her, on her iPhone. She's the playlist queen. She's the playlist. You got to give yeah. her the auxiliary. Queen. By the way, the, these girls, these, these, the, the kids, there was kind of a delay with between season one and season two. Season one was 2017, I believe. Now we're in 2019, so obviously the kids have aged a little bit. Those are those kids are older than second grade, right? Those kids are huge. They're huge. They look like sixth graders. Not second graders, are they? I I don't think so. They look like they're much larger to me. I'm I'm curious as to how they're going to handle the kids and their growth in this season alone, and then moving forward. Certainly, it's going to become a serious fucking problem. They're going to have to recast these kids. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they'll do that. They might have to do a time jump or something if if they continue. Uh, a couple other things that I wanted to mention. Yeah. So so Shailene Woodley, they 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 went. They like pushed her. I guess they're really really intent on showing that she's like the hipster mom. Uh-huh. You know. 
they're like dancing around to like punk rock in the mornings, like before school. And she's like got the cool, you know, like the quirky job at the aquarium. She's the new age and cool mom. Bangs, and, and now she's got the bangs, which is like, it's the haircut of the, it's like the, it, it is like you move into a new level of hipsterdom. Like I'm, I'm thinking about, it's like the straight across cut bangs. Right. It's like the it's like the bangs that you could cut for yourself, essentially. Right. It's like kind of got like a rock. It's got kind of got like a rockabilly vibe. Yeah. You 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 know the type of chicks that have this haircut. They're they're they are they're all over Austin. They are. They're everywhere. And they they have like you know they they have interesting jobs. They don't they you know, they they're not they're not working at. Uh, Ernst and Young. They're not accountants. Right. <laughs> they work at the aquarium with the fucking seals. Yeah, but just interesting choice there cuz I cuz I don't really it kind of looks like a wig and it's it's not very flattering for for Shailene. Anyway, I just I don't know about that. But Meryl's wig on the other hand, great wig. That's great a good wig. wig. And I think she's maybe got some I think maybe she's got some prosthetics going as well. Like like something with her nose or chin, I was, like not quite her. I was going to ask you if that was just me like tripping or if they did something with her face a la like it was almost like Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Like they gave her a, dis- not that distinct obviously, but they gave her a distinct difference. It's something with her mouth, I think. Yeah, I believe, I believe so. I do think that there is something that is not, that they've added to her face to like make it, to make her less Meryl Streepish, right? Well, whatever it was, it worked. Um, it definitely, it definitely worked. And then another thing, this show kind of likes to create some high-low contrast between the haves and the have-nots. Yes. And there was there was no more blatant display of this than with Reese Witherspoon having AirPods, just the pinnacle of luxury and wealth. It when is when you have AirPods. Of course, everybody everybody knows this. And then, only only a mere few minutes later, Shailene Woodley is on her jog with no AirPods. Wow. Can you believe that? That is a very... I mean, because imagine... That is a serious, actual difference, right? Like, you don't blow (laughs) money on shit like AirPods when you're Shailene Woodley, and you aren't even cashing the checks from your former... You're not even cashing the checks. But you would think that if you cash those checks, that, that she could get some AirPods and just blend in a little bit more. Um, like, come on, lady. Maybe next week we'll see Shailene Woodley cash those checks, get a fucking haircut, and buy herself <laughs> some AirPods. <laughs> I mean, I know she's like the cool mom, but you, sometimes you just have to treat yourself, and Reese Witherspoon knows all about that. She does. Miranda, is it Miranda? Is it Miranda? No, it's not Miranda. <laughs> what's, what's Reese Witherspoon's character's name? My, now, now I'm you're making me think, that, Miranda. I'm usually the one that the one that knows this. I know. Let me let me pull it up. Um, <laughs> Miranda, what the? But fuck? yeah, but yeah, you know, they just Madeline, you doofus. Just, to, Madeline, Madeline, I was close. Madeline Martha uh, McKenzie, MMM. Yes, she had the AirPod Flex, and Shailene Woodley needs to needs to jump on board. Fair enough. This episode of OCC is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. Admit it, you think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. 
and that nobody wants your data or that hackers can't grab your passwords and credit card details. And guess what? You're wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is actually one of the simplest and easiest ways for hackers to make money. When you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. That's why I decided to take action to protect myself from cyber criminals with ExpressVPN, which secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. It takes one click to turn it on. And by using ExpressVPN, you can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen for less than 7 bucks a month. You can get the same ExpressVPN protection that Barrett and I have. It is the number one VPN service by TechRadar, rated number one. Comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash clams. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash clams for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash clams to learn more. You want to move on to Black Mirror? Let's move on to Black Mirror. Let's now, do it. I'll just, I'll, I'll preface this with saying, I saw via Instagram that you had watched this, uh, that's, uh, you know, that we were, that we were adding it to the list of stuff to talk about today. And then there were a lot of comments and I saw some stuff online that these episodes of Black Mirror were not very good. They were not, Barrett. It was extremely disappointing this entire fucking season so five. I did, yeah. So I did not, I did not watch them, but I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about about how these yeah. went down. Yeah, so I'll give you a little synopsis of each one. First of all, there are only three episodes which people were disappointed by. And then on top of that, I would argue that these are probably three of the lesser episodes they've done in five seasons. Uh, the first one, episode one, was called Striking Vipers, and it was my favorite, mainly because of how incredibly awkward the situation it poses becomes. Uh, essentially, a 27-year-old man played by Anthony Mackie, his name's Danny Parker in the show, and his girlfriend, they go to a bar, right? There's this beautiful black couple, Danny and Theo. They go to a bar, they pretend to be strangers, then they have sex, then after they have sex, the, the chick is asleep and the dude goes and plays this video game, striking vipers with his roommate at the time, a guy named Carl, another black dude, his best buddy, right? From there, we, we fast forward 11 years and Danny's hosting a barbecue at his house with his now wife, Theo, and they have a three-year-old child. He's fallen out of contact with Carl, and then Carl arrives at the party, invited by Theo, and brings a birthday present, Striking Vipers X, along with a virtual reality disc needed to play the game. Now, Barrett, Striking Vipers is basically Street Fighter <laughs> or Mortal Kombat. Okay. It's right. either of those. And from there... Great games. Thing. Great, great game. Yes, absolutely. But from there, things get very strange because these two men, uh, Danny and what's his boy's name? Uh, Carl. Danny and Carl. They begin to have an intimate sexual relationship via the video game. <laughs> so if you could imagine, okay. Barrett, you plug in your, star, your Street Fighter and I'm one of the characters and you pick your character. And instead of having our characters fight in virtual reality, we decided, you know what? Let's have sex. And and on top <laughs> okay. of that, Barrett, I have decided I'm going to be a female character. And on top of that, the technology is so advanced that as, as a female character in the video game, I feel the orgasmic nature of sexual relations that a woman feels 
versus a man. Then both these men become addicted to this thing. And it's the full-blown exploration of like virtual reality porn and where that's going to take us into the future. And it's already a thing, by the way, if you didn't know that. Uh, it, it All in all, it creates an incredibly awkward situation with a grown man who's straight and married having a sexual relationship through a video game with his best friend Carl. And that was striking vipers to not ruin anything else about it. Um, that, that sounds pretty intense. It, it was very intense. And I was like, honestly, after episode one, I was like, okay, that was probably one of the more uncomfortable things I've ever watched as a straight guy who plays a shit ton of video games, oftentimes with only one of my good friends. I was like, ah, this is a bad, I'm, I'm like Taylor sitting there on the couch next to me like, you're gay, aren't you? You know what I mean? And then we go, yeah. we go to episode two and I was like, all right, maybe it's okay that there are only three. Maybe these just build and they crush it. No. I mean, the second one is called Smithereens. At no point was I even interested in what the fuck was happening. It's something to do with a rideshare driver kidnapping an employee of a large social media company that he hates. The fuck, it sucked. It sucked. It was like if uh, somebody hated Zuckerberg and needed to kidnap him or something. And in the end, it doesn't even pan out the way you expect it to. Uh, the whole point is basically to say that social media sites like Twitter and Facebook distract society from the real world. But that's not that deep of a statement, you know? We already right. we already knew all that. If if nothing else, s- seasons one through four of Black Mirror had taught us that technology is bad and evil or whatever. Yeah. Like, we didn't need... That, that, that was essentially... That, that's the larger statement of the show as a whole, right? Yes. Absolutely. Is that technology is dangerous. Yes, and that if you're not careful with it, it can be extremely damaging. Um, so episode two, yeah. I was extremely disappointed in, in terms of like it keeping me interested, in terms of there being a lesson or a message that I wasn't already familiar with. It, it may be that I just missed it, but I doubt it. I watch a lot of fucking TV and I was paying close attention. Uh, then episode three, the last one, is called Rachel, Jack, and Ashley 2. And it, this is the one with Miley Cyrus Barrett. I'm sure you've seen Miley on her social media. I, yeah, I, yes, I did. She's promoted the absolute shit out of this episode. They had to have paid her an ungodly amount of money to be on this show and to do all the, po- all the posting that she's doing. Uh, if you imagine, for instance, that like it's a quarter of a million dollars for Kendall Jenner to put something up on Instagram, Miley Cyrus has to be somewhere comparable around the line of, of a large amount of money per post. She's putting up Ashley O., posts every freaking day and Ashley owes the name of the character she plays in this episode basically the premise is that there's a little girl who lives a pretty depressing life her name's Rachel she has a sister named Jack and a dad named Kevin their mom passed away Kevin is trying to create a humane replacement for mouse traps which is just a weird element of the whole thing there's like this fucking <laughs> like it, it basically he wants to be able to stun the mice and then you take the mouse outside and free it before it regains consciousness rather than killing mice Nobody wants that. Nobody's doing this. Uh, from there, Rachel becomes obsessed with Ashley O, Miley Cyrus's character, and Ashley O comes out with a new AI doll called Ashley Two. And Rachel convinces her dad to buy her that doll. She begins to confide in Ashley Two, treating it more like a f- real friend than a toy. Uh, it goes so far to the point that then we see the other side of it, where Miley Cyrus's character Ashley O is actually like this tortured artist being held basically captive by her aunt to continue to perform and make money. And and it just gets into the whole mess of like, what is celebrity culture and what is 
the result of people becoming obsessed with celebrities? How is AI going to affect uh, celebrity culture? It's sort of like, you remember when you saw Tupac go on stage at Coachella? Uh-huh. And, you, and you're like, this is a slippery fucking slope. <laughs> it's that. It's that whole yeah. concept of like, if you, are, if you become a brand as a human being, how far can society go with your brand? And in the case of Miley Cyrus in this episode, the answer is way the fuck too far. Like, way too far. But to, to get past Black Mirror, just because honestly, there's not much else to say. It, it was really disappointing. I'm still in on the series. Like, if they put out a season six of Black Mirror, I'm watching it immediately. I love it. It's, it's conceptually, the series has been unbelievably good. They've executed so many episodes that I've watched over and over and over because I like them so much. So yeah, it was my least favorite Black Mirror offering thus far in season five, but it was still okay. It's still watchable. It's still entertaining. You know? The Miley Cyrus one set sounds interesting it, it sounds like it's, an, it's a cool concept it was cool conceptual and honestly it's just really fun to watch miley cyrus like she's the most redeeming part of the episode she's actually a decent actress and it's miley man she's a mm-hmm. she's a pretty powerful persona on screen and it, i think it'll probably lead to her getting more work the only thing about her that always throws me off is her voice her talking voice mm-hmm. her speaking mm-hmm. voice is not what you expect it to be uh but anyway right. from there barrett let's let's move into the darkest possible topic of conversation today handmaid's tale season three yes i thought there were five episodes available already but you're saying that the fourth and fifth are listed as upcoming so that you can see a little teasy tease right that's correct you can you can they they have the way this is working is that they dropped three episodes this past wednesday and then they will follow with one episode every wednesday uh, for the remainder of the, I think the season has 13 episodes. Right. Now, why do you think uh, they went with the that strategy? First, um, this is something that Hulu has done before. And I think it is, I, I think it's like, they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too. But you know how a lot of times with television shows and with, and with seasons, even of television shows, you kind of need like maybe two or three episodes to, to get, the season to understand what it's all going to be about. Yes. That's kind of what I think that they're giving you here. Okay. I, I think that they like, they, they like to give you a chunk of the season to kind of let you know what it's going to be like, well, it, how it's going to go. It makes sense from the perspective what, what, of like, if, if there was just one and they drop one and you watch it and you're like, eh, you know, maybe you'll forget by week two, but if they drop yeah, right, three exactly. and they reel you all they the way in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but they, they and, and I actually prefer this, uh, you know, when we get to Stranger Things in July, it's weird because it's going to drop on July 4th, right. and a lot of people are going to finish the entire season by July 10th or whatever, and it, it, it just kind of, it, it, it becomes a struggle to, to keep the conversation going for an extended period of time a little bit. It, I think it uh, is more enjoyable for us as fans, as viewers... And as podcasters, obviously, when they give us a little bit more space like this. So I, it kind of is yeah. to have your cake so and I, eat it too, and I'm sort of into it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I would not be shocked if Netflix just tests these waters eventually with like a couple of different release formats right. instead of just dropping entire seasons at, at the same time. But no, I'm, I'm definitely into this. Um, 
you you you've gotten one episode in. Is that is that right? Yes, and even the one. I mean, dude, just watching the previously on Handmaid's Tale, which was super long before episode one, so that you feel all the way caught up or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like exhausted emotionally by the end of that. That that's that's another thing about the Handmaid's Tale, and, and everybody that I talk to about this show, where I, you know, I it's definitely a it's definitely a recommendation. I suggest it to people. But, and I'm like, and there's already two seasons, but it's going to take you some time because this is not a show that you can binge. It's like Black Mirror in that way that I don't even recommend binging it. It's it's like too much for, for your brain. One episode is plenty at a time. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's interesting. I wanted to draw some parallels between this show and Big Little Lies. They were both uh, novels written by female authors. Yes. They are female focused and female driven. They were one book. And, and the show, both shows, and you know, in both cases, they've gone beyond the books now to continue to flesh out the story. Yes. Uh, I, I think with Big Little Lies, that was, they, they had it in mind that it was going to be a one season miniseries. With Handmaid's Tale, I feel like they knew that if it was popular, if it was a success, they would go a little bit further. Right. But um, yeah, it's just, it's so different because. Like I said about Big Little Lies, it's like an, even with the darker subject matter, it's an enjoyable place to be. I like the scenery. I like the characters. I like watching it. It's it's uh, it's aesthetically pleasing. And Handmaid's Tale has created something that's that's essentially the opposite of that, where I, you don't want to spend any time in this place. Gilead sucks. Only bad things. Only bad things happen. Gilead is awful. The, the the scenery is uh, is static. Nothing ever changes because it's all the same color and everybody wears the same thing all the time. Right. There's no there's no opportunity for real for real flair or for for, for anything to be added. No, it's to, you know to the I mean? point that when like when you have a scene in Canada, it's shocking to see people dressed differently yeah. in different scenarios. Yeah, right. Um, and yet it's it's really a fascinating watch, and and I'm you know I I, I can't. I can't help but keep watching because I I've got to know what happened. So what do you? Um, I mean, for you, I, I, I really, what's the point? I guess of Big. Little, I mean, what is what is Handmaid's Tale doing as a series or attempting to do? Well, this is like an interesting kind of nuanced thing that I think that they're kind of having to gra- having to grapple with here in season three, in which I hope that they do successfully because season one was obvi- obviously was a more narrow story. Yes. It was about the character June Offred and and what had happened to her essentially and how she was dealing with the fallout of the situation. Right. Right. Um, and through that it was like very much like a social commentary about what happens when a police state takes over and women especially like lose every right that they had. Yes. You know? And I mean even more right. so you could draw it back to like, you know, the way certain things have gone in society as of late. There there are a lot of parallels between our world and Gilead. It's just extreme versions of it in Gilead and uh, obviously right. the show examines like how society treats women and then how we treat reproduction and all of, you know, that mixed together basically. Yes, and and season two built on that, I would say, and kind of continued along the same lines where it was still very June focused. We saw a little bit more of the outside world, but it was it was still very much like kind of a character study and a social commentary. Yeah, 
And I, I, there's, there's only so much of that that I think that they can do. I, I don't think you can stretch that for five seasons. I don't think so. I, I think they're already way. done, man. Like I was sick of, I'm not sick of it, but I was sort of like, okay, let's move forward during season two. Even there were parts where I was getting a little bit yeah. bored. Very much, very much so. I'm absolutely with you. There was, there were definitely episodes and moments in season two where I was like, okay, like this is because it is kind of an exhaustive watch yeah. because it's not fun, really. Right. And I know that's a weird thing to say about, to say about a television show that I like. That you're opting into watching, right? Yes, right. But it, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't know. If, is the Godfather fun to watch? I guess it is. I yeah, guess it it's is. it's a tough that's dude. A good, that's not a good comparison. I would but, argue that it, nothing you know I mean? nothing has ever been made like this though. Like nothing has ever been so brutally realistic in in storyline and in historical context that it makes you like the whole time you're watching it, you're just like, oh god, this is brutal. Everything about it is brutal, and I mean, it's not fun to watch, but it is incredibly well made, and it's almost like you know it's important to watch. Yeah, okay, definitely. And 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 for what I'm about to say next, I don't want to take away from the show's importance. And I and I don't think that and I don't think that doing this would, but what I'm really, really interested in moving forward, moving forward in season three, yeah. is I wanna know I want to know more about the outside world. I want to know more about the resistance. I want to know more about like how Gilead won. I want to know what, like, like I love the little nuggets that they drop in where, and I believe that this was the first episode. If I'm not really ruining it, ruining it, ruining it. Oh, don't worry about me. In season, if it's in episode two, but it's like, they drop in this little thing where it's like, Gilead's about to take Chicago back from the Americans. Ah. And so it's, it's like, that's, that's the stuff that I want to know about. Yeah. I w- and you can, you can, you can kind of see like right at the end of episode one where, where June is, is back in the presence of, uh, of commander Lawrence yeah. there that like, like maybe some stuff is going to actually move forward with this whole resistance and rebellion. Right. Especially cause because they've got I, this guy, I commander Lawrence involved. Like he's clearly torn at this point. Yes. What, what I don't want is June to be back with the Waterford and just do the whole song and dance with Commander Waterford and Serena for the third season in a row. It did get to like, a point, Barrett, the, where we felt I felt like every episode I was watching in season two, and then even honestly in through one episode of season three, it's just like the we keep getting caught trying to escape or caught trying to do this <laughs> or that. She just keeps getting right. freaking caught, and finally, somebody, Emily, I guess, has some success and gets the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and we, that's where like, that's where I think the show could struggle a little bit going forward, because if it turns into a TV show of, of, about a rebellion, then it's, then I wonder if they, if they feel like they're abandoning their, their female character study. Right. If they, if what they really like having is like these super gray characters like Aunt Lydia and Serena and June and the other handmaids and like, right. Like that's because each of these, each of these characters has been really, really layered over the course of, of two seasons and a little bit of the third where we, 
where we see we see a little bit of good, we see some struggle between what they know is what they know is right and what they're believing to be right, right. in then in their given situation. And it's like, I, but I'm kind of ready to just like keep the story going. I want to know what happens after. I feel you. I mean, for me, it's the biggest thing I need this season. And I guess they sort of got me a little bit on the hook in episode one for this is I, I want more information about how this place came to be. Most of all, like, Mm-hmm. I want to know I would what Commander Joseph Lawrence, because he's essentially being credited as the guy who invented Gilead, right? Well, he 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 was the architect of the economy, ah. is the line from the show, and he is also what we think we know is that in some way, shape, or form, whether directly or indirectly, he created the colonies. He did create the colonies. That was his idea. That's the whole thing. His wife throws out like he did something horrible or whatever in season two. But mm-hmm. I, I need to see that guy, Eric from Billy Madison. Uh, I need more of him. He's great. He's the most interesting character on the show to me right now. He's the guy that I know the least about. He he's is. the one I have the most questions about. I need more Eric from Billy Madison. He's going to be a soccer player. <laughs> uh, that's Bradley Whitford. And we just got to give props to him, man, because he is, he is a Pantheon level all-time character actor. To me. He's done uh, more he than most people realize, he, too. He, dude, he has 151 credits on his IMDb page as an actor. That's a lot. Like, if you just start scrolling through, it, it's it's really, really wild. But he, <laughs> like, sometimes I get hooked on the stupid network comedy. Uh-huh. And back in 2013, he was the he was the husband in this sitcom called trophy wife yeah okay he was just like a he was just a he was like a fun-loving dad and he was awesome in that he was really funny and uh but you know then he's also he also plays these these creepy scary guys and shows like the mentalist he's a bad dude and get out and then and now in uh in in handmaid's tale he's obviously this really gray kind of character who we're not sure dude can you say one way or the other whether this guy's good or bad i have absolutely no idea what his end game is it's almost like he's enjoying being in the middle yes and and uh laura actually mentioned that she she was like i think this dude's just an anarchist yeah he's just he just wants to to mix it up essentially and like see what happens and i don't know we don't we don't have this guy's mo yet and i really really want them to i've I think that this is one thing we we will definitely get is his character developed. I can't even. But I can't I believe he really, was really in. Really a, he's in the Godzilla movie that's out right now too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. But uh, but yeah, I just I, I want to see I want to see him and June work together. I want to see what June can do from this now that she's out from under Commander Waterford. Now that she's in this place, it's like a little bit more flexible. Like how can she contribute to the cause? How can we kind of start to like, how did these people that are trapped in the situation start to take down Gilead from the inside? Right. Because that's, and I know that's a different show. Now we're almost talking about espionage and, and action and spy shit. But honestly, that's, that seems like the natural step because I, I know how tough this has been for June. I know how conflicted Serena has been. I, like I, I, I get all of these large points that the story made over two seasons and that the book only needed essentially, you know, it was just one book. There wasn't a sequel. Right. And so it, it, your, your show kind of has to change 
And I hope that they continue to push in that direction rather than just continuing to focus on like this circular nature of, of sort of doing something good and getting caught and being brought back in the just school. over and over almost getting out but then yeah right because that's getting a little old and so are you three deep now I, i've watched the first two, okay actually so I'm, I'm actually so far intrigued enough to be excited like it, and i mean that in the most positive way possible because this is a very very dark show that as you mentioned is not enjoyable viewing it's more uh almost like it's like a deep dark lesson every week right uh, or every, every or every time you watch it, and uh, even so, after episode one, there was enough difference there to get me like, okay, I'm willing to do another season of this shit. And one of the things you and me mentioned off mic was the visuals, and I thought this first episode that I watched was, I mean, it's always been good. Don't get me wrong; they've always done a great job with cinematography and the visuals. But they took that shit to like a whole nother level in this first episode with there was a I felt like there was a lot more slow motion and a lot more like time taken to acknowledge the setting and surroundings of uh, not so much Gilead as a whole, but these smaller areas like the the fucking uh, what the hell is the name of the the family that she stays with? Keep for, Waterford, the Waterford Wait, house when it was burned. Yeah. Yes, yes. Like all of that, all uh, the visuals there were so good. The fire scene is really, really awesome. Was she about to kill uh, herself? That, you know, I really could not tell. At, when she first picks up that, that bottle, uh-huh. I thought that she was going to maybe drink it and kill herself. Right. But then when she starts pouring it out, I, I, I didn't get the fact, like, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned here that you, were, you weren't sure whether or not she was going to throw herself on the bed. That crossed my mind. Yes. It did cross I my thought mind. that's what she was doing. But it I was like going to be the stupidest suicide of all time. Like, that's a horrible <laughs> way to kill yourself. What an idiot. But I, I think, yeah, I think she was just, it, it's just another act of defiance. And I, speaking of things that I, I want for this season, I like the Serena character. I, I think they've developed her incredibly well. She is got so much nuance. Um, Laura rides for her really, really hard. Not like as a good person or you know, like a, a, a great role just model. As a character, but she is just as a character and just as somebody. Laura has had compassion for her since episode one. Whereas, like during the first season, I was like, "This is the worst person on earth." Right. Um, but uh, different but, for a woman. I want her to. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I do believe that is accurate. And um, yeah, we should at some point in the season we we, we probably need to get Taylor or Laura in here to, to discuss because it, it's a good one to get female perspective. Oh, for sure. On, absolutely. For sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I Serena kind of got to choose at this point, right? I'm sick of the muddling around in the middle from her. I need. Yeah. I need a. I need yeah. a break, I man. Don't want, definitely decide one way or the other who you, who which team you're going to play for because that's an that's another thing where i just feel look man like shows have to move the story along you have to you have to develop these characters you can't keep hitting the reset button on them every season and and i need her to what i hope is that that these like you know telling her husband that she doesn't need his protection and then burning the fucking house down 
like let's you know let's see it girl yeah let's Let, go let's, let's let's start let's start some shit yeah no i'm i'm absolutely 1000% with that it's like that's been the problem with me with handmaid's tale throughout is that like when season 2 ended mm-hmm. and june backed away from that car I screamed. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, we watched that whole goddamn season for you to not get in the car. Mm -hmm. Now I feel a little bit relieved by the fact that her daughter, I believe it's a daughter, the the baby, actually made it Mm -hmm. to Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. That that was a nice, that that was a nice moment of something good happening. And and now just a little tease for, for episode two. I think episode two, I would say, continues to push in the right direction. It's still a little early to say, okay. um, you know, there's perhaps by next week we're, we're all caught up with, with four whole episodes and then we should have a real, a real idea of, of where they're going to go with all this. Um, but, but yeah, I do think like one episode was enough for me to, to at least be back in the mix as well. I, I, I was still, yeah, uh, I just I I want more stuff to happen. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm I'm looking forward to going and watching uh, two and three at the very least tonight to to see how things are speeding along because one got me back on the hook, like I said. But same as you, I need more for it to to really a, uh, yeah, for it to click. <laughs> we we've commented on on the acting already. Uh, the the actor that plays Serena is great. Bradley Whitford is great. Elizabeth Moss, widely considered one of the best. Uh, actresses, actors of her generation, especially when it comes to television. Yes, at this point, definitely. Does anybody, can anybody say as much with a little like shivering head twitch as her? I I feel like when, 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 uh, when the other handmaid comes in to, uh, to the room where she's cleaning, where she's being punished Uh for, for going to see her, her daughter at the McKenzie's and that handmaid informs her that, Emily and her daughter made it safely to Canada, and she just starts like that—that that kind of like that shake, yes. that twitch, that half smile, that weird like almost about to cry, like that whole thing. I feel like she's done that approximately twenty-five times on this television show, and I gotta—I gotta think that that was the audition to Fortune when they were casting Handmaid's Tale. It was like, okay, something really, really bad, and then something really, really good happened. Show me that in one shivering facial motion. Right. No, dude, she's incredible. I mean, it's because, like she that is her yeah. thing, sort of like we always make fun of Homeland because Carrie won't stop fucking crying. Carrie, the Carrie cry. But page, this yeah. is actually legit and it's good. And it's like um, you you brought up that a uh, very specific scene, the one where she's cleaning the floors in there and then they march the handmaids through and the mm-hmm. floors are dirtied again. And she's like, what the fuck? She's doing her penance or whatever. That particular scene when she does her shaky face freak out. I was like, damn, this bitch is medicated. Like, they have to have... (laughs) Elizabeth Moss, you can't be that good. And I don't mean this as a knock. You can't be that good unless you're a little off uh, at what she does. And that was so powerful, her reaction to being informed that her daughter did make it across the border safely with Emily, that I was, like, unnerved, almost. Like, I was like, God, dude, she's just so fucking good. She really is. She's like... We talked about Meryl Streep earlier. Elizabeth Moss is one of the few actresses in America that I would say if she continues along her path has an opportunity to be to get that level of respect as an actress. She, she might. She really really might. Uh, the I, I know that with like within the industry with within Hollywood like she is ex- very in critics as well super highly respected and uh, and yeah she she'll be able to 
have a long career, I would say, and I'm sure the uh, many, many more nominations are in her. It has to feel good going from like one incredibly successful television show considered by many to be one of the greatest ever made in Mad Men to like another incredibly successful Mm -hmm. project on another premium show. Like, well, I guess Mad Men was AMC, but this is Hulu. It's just her career is going very well. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's on one that I've not watched, but what she is, which is equally acclaimed as far as her performance goes is another drama series called top of the lake. Ah, I've seen a preview for this. It it was, yeah, it was on Sundance, I believe the Sundance channel. So uh, a little bit more obscure, but widely considered, you know, just a, a stellar performance from her and that as well. The only other, but yeah, I mean, that's what's up. It's another parallel between these these two main shows that we're talking about, Big Little Lies and and uh, and and The Handmaid's Tale, is that these performances from these actors are just pretty much as good as it gets. All females too, or a lot of females, a lot of uh, and, uh, female yeah. leading roles. Mm-hmm. Dude, the thing that struck me, like yep. as the, the first episode ended, this is really my last thought on Handmaids for the day, is that Canada has an opportunity to become cooler than America for the first time ever if the Raptors win the championship and Canada also remains the safe place to escape to in Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah. that's They, that they would really have a lot going for them. And then meantime, they've got the Biebs threatening to fight Tom Cruise or whatever, which is just like, Bieber, sit down. Your country's having a good moment here. Why are you trying to screw it up by trying to fight Tom Cruise, who has old man strength that would crush you like a grape? Also, episode one, Tom dude. Cruise, that's, sorry, go ahead, Tom Cruise. Oh, that well, that's the real takeaway from that is that Tom Cruise would, I mean, wipe the floor with people. Dude, dude, we kill you him. You think that guy is up on all sorts of weird HGH and testosterone and Scientology shit to look the way he does with fifty-five years old or whatever? He would beat the shit out of Justin Bieber, dude. <laughs> he would murder Justin Bieber. The fact that Bieber thought that was even close to a good idea is laughable. I'm with you. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, dude, if anybody has all the illegal shit that makes you as healthy as you could possibly be, it's Tom fucking Cruise. <laughs> and he's going to wipe your fucking face all over the floor. And I love that, uh, by the way, last thing. Nappy Roots' Good Day being the credits music at the end of episode one might be the only reason I even made it to the studio. Like, the episode <laughs> was ending, and I was just, like, enshrouded in darkness in my home again, and then Good Day comes I appreciate greatly whoever it is making the musical decisions on the show Handmaid's Tale for giving us something to get us back Three along our day. Yes. A little pick, little pick me up. For real though. It, it, I needed yeah. that big time. Any other thoughts on Handmaid's before we move on? No, that's, uh, that's all I got on Handmaid's, but, uh, and, and we'll, we'll definitely talk more after we, we, we see a couple more episodes. Next I week. will be four deep next week. I pledge that. And we will talk about, uh, where we're <laughs> at at that point. Definitely. This episode of OCC is actually brought to you by a new sponsor of the show today as well. Have you ever heard of Cricket Shirts? They are badass polos that are made for on and off the golf course. They have a shirt called the Player's Shirt that is an incredible fabric, perfect for the summer. It is hot as shit outside now. If you're going to play golf or you're doing anything outdoors, get yourself a Cricket Shirt so that you don't freaking die. Uh, They even have one called the Valyrian Steel on Cricket uh, shirts.com. One of Cricket's owners is actually Luke Wilson, the freaking godfather, which is 
makes gives you even more reason to check out these polos and use the code OCC. You'll get twenty percent off your entire order. Whether you're on the golf course or you're just going to the bar, Cricket Shirts has you covered. Twenty percent off when you use the code OCC at c r i q u e t shirts.com. That's cricketshirts.com. Use the code OCC and get twenty percent off. Grab yourself one of those Valyrian steels uh, and dress like Luke Wilson. Only other thing I have is Barrett. I watched a totally random movie that I would like to recommend. I'm curious okay. as to whether or not you've seen it. Uh, actually, one of Taylor's coworkers, my wife's coworkers, recommended that we watch it based on what that coworker knows about Taylor and I and our tastes. The movie's called My Friend Dahmer, and it's actually available on Netflix. And I remember seeing the preview for this when it came out and being pumped because Jeffrey Dahmer, one of America's most notorious serial killers, is a fascinating character study. And this seemed to be an incredibly original angle on the serial killer movie and story. And then I never hear, heard a single fucking word about the movie from when it came out back in 2017 until literally last week. And the reason that's weird is because I thought the movie was great, not good, like really good. And it's okay. bi- here's where it gets interesting. It's biographical drama film written by and directed by Mark Myers uh, it's based on a 2012 graphic novel of the same name by cartoonist John Backdurf, who was friends with Jeffrey Dahmer in high school in the 1970s, all the way up until the time Dahmer began his killing spree. So this kid, John Backdurf, actually grew up with Jeffrey Dahmer, actually went to high school with him, actually was one of his was one of his few friends, Barrett. Then, as a child. Legitimately in high school, he began sketching Jeffrey Dahmer because he thought he was an interesting character. Like, like, dude, this is nuts. They graduate from high school. Everybody knows Dahmer's a psycho and a weirdo, but he hasn't killed anybody yet. He's just a normal fucked up teenager up until the point he graduates high school. Well, not normal, but he's, you know, whatever. The point is he doesn't break until uh, later on. But like 10 years go by, and then John Backdurf and all these other people that went to high school with Dahmer found, find out, like, oh my God, Jeffrey Dahmer is a fucking serial killer. That kid we went to high school with is a killer. And then he did this whole graphic novel about their experience in high school together, and that got turned into this movie. So the whole thing is essentially Jeffrey Dahmer as a high schooler in the 70s. You, uh, you, you meet his parents, Lionel and Joyce, his little brother Dave, his... Uh, friends that he makes, including the John Backdurf, the guy who ends up drawing him. And uh, you see the things that build toward him becoming the monster that he becomes. And it is incredibly creepy. If you love true crime or serial killers or any of that type of shit, you will really like this movie, which is why it's weird to me that I never fucking heard anything. Yeah, it didn't. It really didn't make much of a buzz when it came out. I guess because I'm 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 looking at it right now online, and I, I mean I don't even think I remember seeing trailers for this. Although it is ringing, it's ringing somewhat of a bell. It bombed horribly in the box office. Apparently, like 1.4 million box office is the number I'm seeing, which is uh, that's not what you want. And yeah, I heard that's what uh, the Dark Phoenix did this past week. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm kidding. It did a little bit better. Surely it did better. But but the dude who plays Dahmer, this Ross, I believe his name is Ross Lynch, I think, maybe. Uh I'm trying to find his name to be sure before I say something incorrect. His name is Ross Lynch, yes. I don't know this motherfucker. I don't know where he came from. I've never seen him in anything else. He was unbelievable. And I'm curious, why 
I didn't hear anything about this movie. Why nobody watched it? Why that guy hasn't gotten more work since then? I just am really curious as to what the hell happened there, but I highly recommend it. Uh, like I said, on Netflix, it's a random one. It's two hours. If you like serial killers and murder and shit, this one's going to fascinate you because it's a different angle than we've ever seen before, and it works. That's the thing. Like, uh, I watched that, what was it called? What was Efron's movie called, Barrett, that, that he played... Uh, Oh, f- uh, beautifully it's, it's dark and incredibly twisted and horrible and vile. There you go. Extremely thing. wicked, something like shocking that. and vile. Extremely shockingly w- evil yes, and vile. Something like that. Yeah. They attempted a very unique angle in that movie in which they decided we're not going to show any killing. We're going to show it from the perspective of almost what the public would see and know and his family and shit mm-hmm. for uh, the purposes of that particular story. It missed. It whiffed. It didn't work. It didn't hit the way it was supposed to. The movie just didn't fucking work. It ended up being kind of shit. This did work, and yet I never heard a goddamn thing, which is what bums me out. Anyway, point is, uh, if you're interested in Jeffrey Dahmer and how he turned into the serial killer that he became, this is the movie for you. Okay. This episode of OCC is also brought to you by Hems. You've heard us talking about Hems and how they're helping guys look their best. Well, if you haven't, it's time to see what they're all about. The problem is that 66% of men start to lose their hair by age 35, and once you've noticed thinning hair, it can be too late. The best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. It's time to get a handle on those precious locks. And me personally, I've never understood why guys turn to weird solutions or do nothing at all when they can turn to medicine and science. That's where our sponsor, 4hems.com, comes in. A one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Thanks to science baldness can be optional. Hims is giving guys the best version of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. These aren't snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. These are real prescription solutions backed by science. Hims was actually created by a guy who knows some men's health conversations are easier to have online than in person. There's nothing more awkward than going to the doctor in your appointments at 12 o'clock, and then he doesn't get you in until 12.45, and then you got to tell him you're only there because you're worried about your hair. And then from there, he's going to give you your prescription. you got to go to the pharmacy, wait another hour in the long-ass line or whatever, pick up your shit in front of a bunch of other people. It's just awkward. Don't do that. 4 connects you with real doctors online, saves you hours as you know time is money. It's completely confidential and discreet. You just answer a few quick questions. A doctor will review, and if they can determine what's right for you, and if it's... The case is that you need medication, they'll prescribe you medication to treat hair loss. It'll be shipped directly to your door. So order now, ClamFam. You can get started with the Hims Complete Hair Kit for just $5 today while supplies last and subject to doctor's approval, of course. See website for full details and safety information. This could cost you hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy or somewhere else. Go to 4hims.com slash dragon. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash dragon. 4hims.com slash dragon. Uh, I do have one other thing that I, I think that we should uh, just briefly mention. mention it. it. Have you seen? Have you seen that the Russians are now going to do their own version of Chernobyl, in which they blame the U.S. for what happened because we apparently had spies in that nuclear power plant that uh, that caused it. Yes, I'm very excited to watch Putin's <laughs> uh, Putin's version of the Chernobyl <laughs> saga, and the the most exciting thing about it, honestly is that Russia's stupid enough to think that they can put up a show that will compare to an HBO production with a score of 9.7 on IMDb. 
<laughs> like, what the fuck? Now, this is a silly idea. Surely we will be able to get our hands on this, on the Russian version, right? We have to, Barrett. We have to. Because I got to see this. I got, I've got to see this. What is their argument? It literally is just that we played a role in the disaster? That the United States did? That, that is apparently one of the, their foremost beliefs, is that, um, is that Chernobyl was the result of a, of a, of a plant, of a, a U.S. mole, essentially, a spy that got in there and, and, and you know, did some stuff and caused a nuclear meltdown to make Russia look bad. This is ridiculous. <laughs> My God. Wow. Yeah. Well, we all look forward to that. And that will do it for today's episode of OCC. Huge thanks to our sponsors again for supporting the show. Make sure you support them to support us. And if for some reason you don't want any of the greatest products known to man, which are brought to you by the sponsors of the show, then you can support us directly by going to patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles. Barrett, do you want to tell people about our June Patreon offering. You mentioned Dark Phoenix, which is well, the, our first movie club movie. I did. I did. We we may have to have a, a, a bit of an off-mic conversation about this, but we're currently planning on doing our first ever movie club where we all go watch a movie and then we get on, the, uh, on our Patreon account and we release a podcast discussing the movie, essentially. Uh, all ad-free, of course. Uh, and it, and our, our first scheduled movie club is The Dark Phoenix, which flopped at the box office this past weekend and has horrific reviews, which I'm not sure makes this even more exciting or if it means we need to pick a different movie. Here's the thing that I'll I'll tell you right now. You and I both have to watch it and then we'll decide, will this be worth roasting for an hour or, or has it been given some horrible injustice by these critics, which I fucking doubt, or do we just need to pick another movie? And I guess we'll have to make that decision after we watch it. But yeah, it's getting panned hard like i've seen reviews saying that it was like it's the downfall of the franchise and shit like the worst x-men movie ever made i did i saw a column a headline for a column i believe it was at the ringer that said sophie turner will rise from the from the ashes of the dark phoenix which um great great headline there great article title and uh, and also, you know, kind of why we wanted to choose this movie in the first place is because we wanted to see uh, our first big Game of Thrones actor take their star turn on the on the silver screen. But um, you know, apparently, it didn't all it didn't all go according to plan. It sounds like there was a lot of behind the scenes chaos regarding this movie, which is not it was not that surprising given uh, all of the uh, back and forth happenings and goings on between. Disney and Marvel and Fox. Also just a ton of A-listers involved. Had some weird stuff. Yeah, well, I feel like the more A-list actors you have in a franchise, the harder it becomes to control, too, and there's just a lot of people. Sometimes that does make it harder, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there's two episodes also already on our Patreon. If you go sign up for June, you will get our Patreon podcast about The Last Watch, which is the documentary on HBO about Game of Thrones. And then uh, I think we've talked about our fourth Patreon podcast being all listener questions about these other shows that we're watching and talking about and thinking about and just kind of, you know, engaging with. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to that, especially you and I are both going to write columns coming out very soon. Uh, I think we're, we're, we're planning on each doing two this month <laughs> for June. So there's there's just there's just just a plethora of content right there on patreon.com slash oysters clams is it just oysters clams yeah cockles? we have no and in there 
character no limit. Patreon.com slash Oysters Clam Scott. There you go. Do it. Support OCC, Clam Fan for Life. You'll get those two podcasts about The Last Watch immediately upon signing up, and then Movie Club and some columns coming later this month. And then uh, deeper into June, we'll announce what's coming in July on Patreon.com slash Oysters yeah. Let's follow us on social media for updates on the best in TV and movies on Instagram at Oysters Clams Cockles, on Twitter at Clams and Cockles, and then on Facebook.com slash Oysters Clams Cockles. You can follow me, Ross Bolin, on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at WR Bolin. Uh, I actually have another show called the Ross Bolin Podcast, where yesterday my mom was my special guest, probably the most special guest I've ever had, Debbie Bolin. She was on. That's very exciting. It was cool. She came on for two hours. We talked what? about. Everything from my childhood to my parents' divorce, mental health struggles, and my stuff with addiction and substance abuse. And then Sopranos finale came up somehow, and we talked about that for 20 minutes. So, uh, was, was that her first ever appearance on a podcast? Yeah, and it was funny because she listens to like every show that you and I do. Not like. She listens to every show that you <laughs> and I do. I mean, period. Like, immediately after they come out. And for the first 10 minutes or so... She was just kind of sitting there, like, smiling like she was listening to the show being made. I was like, Mom, you're on the show. <laughs> you are the show now. But she did fantastic. It was uh, it was super fun. So go give RBP 192 a listen now, available wherever you're listening to OCC. Barrett, where can we follow you and hear more of your beautiful voice? Not over the phone. You can find... You can follow me uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Barrett Dudley, and then you can check out my other podcast, the Club Cool Podcast. Uh, we've got a social media account on Instagram at Club Cool Pod, and uh, and just search for Club Cool Pod wherever you're listening to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles to to check out what we're talking about. It's style and pop culture and a little bit of entertainment and music type stuff on uh, on this last episode that we actually released early this week since it was pre recorded. We dive into another fascinating true crime case. If you have if you don't know the saga of up and coming rapper YNW Melly. I encourage you to go listen to the most recent episode of Club Cool. So I, I, let me let me let me hop in right there. I had not heard anything about <laughs> this at all, and I saw your Instagram post, and then went and listened to y'all's episode. And this shit is absolutely bonkers. It, dude, it, it's it's one of the craziest things I've I, like ever that I've ever heard. I, I just the sort of it. I don't want to give too much away because I want you to go listen to yeah. the pod, but. This up-and-coming rapper straight-up murders two of his best like, friends. Like, b- but by up-and-coming, I mean, this guy was working with Kanye. Like, he, he had massive yeah. exposure. He was one of the next big things yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's uh-huh. sort of, like, you know what I would compare <laughs> it to is, like, Aaron Hernandez. Like, what the fuck were you thinking? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's got it's got some similarities. There. But anyway, yeah, go listen to uh, Club the, Cool. The, 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 the intriguing parts of it are, are how he attempts to then fake a crime scene to uh to avoid detection and it just gets wilder and wilder it is an incredibly stupid plan that they come up with and then execute (laughs) and it's unreal you got to go listen to the whole story on on club cool but thank you for calling in and uh and and doing the show with us we've never done a call-in episode i don't think you and i yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I hope that the quality turns out okay for, for all the members of the Clampton out there, and I, I look forward to being back in the speed next week. Well, enjoy the rest of your vacation, Barrett. We'll see you next week, and we'll talk to all of y'all next week. Adios, muchachos. Ooh.